Hello, friend. Welcome back to Meg Living Inside Out. This is episode 21 of our series on friendship. Initiation and reciprocation. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 Initiative is at the heart of the gospel. Because God loved us, he initiated a relationship with us. And he chose us. Ephesians 1 says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now for us to also have a relationship with him, we must reciprocate. And Jesus tells us in the Gospels, choose the narrow path. Seek him while he may be found. This day, do not harden your hearts against the Holy Spirit. Now I'm paraphrasing a few scriptures in there, but... You can recognize them, and thankfully we have concordances. This topic of initiative is necessary for every single friendship. Someone has to start the conversation, start the, hey, I like you, process of relationship. And I've discussed this before in this series. Today we're going to go deeper. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of being an initiator or the pros and cons and challenges of being more reserved. We're also going to talk about how these, how this relates to family relationships, because there's different levels of expectation when you get into families than just with regular friendships. So there's a lot to cover, and I hope that you will stick with me as we cover some of these really heavy elements. So first of all, let me say that God wired me to be an initiator, and it is almost like I have a reflex. I want to, if I see someone and something about them is beautiful, I want to affirm that in them, especially if they don't necessarily, if they don't look like they know that, they, that, that they're beautiful in that moment. And so I have on occasion asked God respectfully, um, hey God, why did you make me this way? What was your purpose in this? And over time, he showed me that it was better for the purpose that he had made me for, for me to be initiator rather than for me to be more reserved and have to learn to initiate. Now, the cons of being an initiator are many and frustratingly so. So let's just jump into them and... uh, get off to the races. So it is very common that I have to catch myself initiating and having selfish ulterior motives. So maybe I'm initiating because I want validation or I want someone to reciprocate. And those aren't bad things necessarily, 
But if my motive is self-centered, then in that moment, that initiative is tainted by that selfishness. And sometimes God can still redeem good actions that have selfish initiative. Um, But it is still important that when we recognize that selfishness, I know for me, I have to go to the cross and say, Lord, please help me. Please purify my motives, purify my heart. And sometimes I will get back, right back into doing what I was doing of the good initiative. And sometimes I will need to take a break and reset my mind and my heart. And maybe I get back into doing that. Maybe I don't. So initiating with ulterior motives is the first one. The other downside of being an initiator is that um, I hope and expect that people will reciprocate and reciprocate with the same quality and intensity that I initiated. And this is not always, very often, not at all, a realistic expectation. And so when the reciprocation is less than what I expected or not at all, I have to make peace in my own heart with, in a sense, a type of rejection and neglect of my initiative. And so um, I'm, I'm particularly sensitive in this way, which has, it's been really frustrating to be totally honest. It's it's uh, not my favorite thing about my personality, um, but at the same time, the benefits of being an initiator and, you know, I have this strong desire to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. I would run through the streets shouting at the top of my lungs if I thought that that would help. <laughs> that is the intensity of people need to know that God loves them that I have in my soul. So it is for the best. And I, I have accepted that, thankfully. Um, so when people don't always reciprocate how I expect, there's a couple things that I've learned over the years. And the first is that <laughs> this is going to sound really obvious to some of you people, but I had to learn this manually the hard way. So just Bear with me as I share my learning process. You have yours and it's different. Um, I have had to learn that if I initiate and it's not reciprocated, to not keep initiating. That might sound really obvious, um, but I've had to learn that. Um, Sometimes I have a pride going into what I hope will be a friendship, going into initiating with someone and basically having the mindset, I'm going to make you love me. I'm going to make you become my friend. And that, my friend, is arrogance on my part. And so I've had to repent of that. And I've... I have given my phone number to girlfriends in the DMs And one time, 
the girl just didn't even reply to me. And then after that, I kept on, like, trying to be her friend. And it was, it was a lost cause, unfortunately. So, um, I have learned that I'm good for one gift giving. And I can do that without dipping into my emotional bank account and going, initiating unsustainably and drawing more emotional energy than I have to give to that person that I can trust will be reciprocated because, I don't know if that makes sentence made sense, but we're going to keep on rolling, because it's very common that if I initiate and initiate and initiate and it's not reciprocated, I end up resenting the person. It's like I've put all this emotional energy into you and you've either ignored me or neglected me or been half-hearted. And it's entirely possible that sometimes the person on the other side is just more reserved than I am. (laughs) This might come as a surprise, but there are a lot of people in the world who are more reserved than I am. Again, this has been a learning curve. So those three things, um, initiating with selfish motives, um, initiating with unrealistic expectations, um, and initiating and then allowing those unrealistic expectations, those unmet expectations to form resentment, Those are the three big negatives that I see to being an initiator, an initiator. However, there are some wonderful positives. First of all, if no one initiated, we would not have any friends. We need extroverts and those with extroverted tendencies. The two are different. Let me get into that. Uh, to bring people together and initiate conversation. And there is a gift that God gives sometimes where he will show someone, hey, that person over there and that person over there, they have things that are similar in this area and they should be friends. Or sometimes God just gives somebody a gut instinct. And um, I'm a woman I was acquaintances with previously told me um, that God had given her this gift and to the point where she didn't even know how many people, how many couples she had introduced that ended up getting married. And this is just something that God put on her and did through her. And that was not her choosing or calling. That was how God made her and that was what he was using her for. And not using in a bad way, but using in a happy way. And she got to be a part of his plan in bringing those people together. So if you are naturally an initiator, in general, it's easier for you to find and make friends. And it's easier for you to have a wider circle of friends. And oftentimes, sometimes, it's easier for you to introduce those friends and then form your own personal community that they know you and they know each other and then they become friends because of that. (sighs) I long for the day in heaven when we will all be friends with each other. That is one of my very, very deep passions and I am very excited about that day. 
Now, let's switch topics and talk a little bit more about those who are reserved. Now, I have a very good friend who is like this, and I also would say that my husband is like this. So, my husband is a little bit more aware of this is where I end and this is where other people begin. And not going outside and burning up his emotional energy for people that he doesn't trust yet, necessarily. And that can be very wise and very healthy because inevitably people who initiate, you know, you're putting yourself out there, you are risking rejection. I forgot to mention, well, I didn't quite phrase it like that, but that's part of the downside of of uh, initiating is rejection. And so if you're a naturally reserved person, it is then your default to take your time in thinking about how you want to relate to others before you take action and initiate. Uh, one of the things that my friend has told me is that she is very logical. She has a very analytical mind. And I would imagine... God has filled me with a lot of empathy. And she has very truthfully told me that empathy is something that she has to practice intentionally and make a discipline out of. And she's had lots and lots of people in her life help her (laughs) with her making mistakes, help her to learn how to be compassionate for other people and empathetic for other people. And I use those words interchangeably because I forget the nuance of their meaning, but I, I'm assuming that you're tracking with me here. Other-centeredness does not come naturally for her. And so she is much better. And I would say my husband is also better at this. She is better at taking care of herself. Now, for those kinds of people, self-care is kind of like, why is that even a public conversation? Why, why are you not feeding yourself? Whereas I'm the person over here, I will create and get up and help other people and then fall down at three in the afternoon because I haven't eaten anything that day. Now, part of that is my genetic makeup and part of that is just kind of an example of the broader perspective of I have to make it a discipline. In contrast with my friend, where empathy for others comes naturally to me, where the to the point where I have to pull myself back from social media so I'm not overwhelming my emotional senses. I have to practice the discipline of I need to feed myself so I can love others better. (laughs) Self-care is very, very practical for me in that regard. And I have to be intentional about it. Again, it is a discipline. It is a practice. It is something where my... My self-talk, my internal adult has to tell my internal want-to-keep-creating child, no, you need to get up and have a proper meal. You've only had a cup of tea. You haven't had your vitamins yet. It's one in the afternoon. Get your vitamins and your food. So, um, So to go back to the original tangent, uh, the origin of the tangent, which is, Reserved folks are generally better at taking care of their cell, themselves and they're also more thoughtful in how they initiate 
and who they initiate with. Um, Some of the downsides of being a reserved person, kind of obvious. Um, You may not have as wide a circle of friends. Um, It may take more effort for you to initiate. And then when there is rejection, maybe you may take it more sensitively because it took a lot of effort for you to take initiative. And that is its own spectrum. Sensitivity is its own spectrum. And it's it's time to talk about this. So um, I have a very poor sense of smell, but I can still smell. In contrast, um, my friend Annalise actually has anemosia. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, which is where she doesn't have a sense of smell. And so she and I are less sensitive in the smelling spectrum. In contrast, you have other folks like my husband or some of my friends where they have a very discerning sense of smell, much to their frustration because then they are more aware of, okay, something in the fridge is not right. And Annalise and I, on the other hand, on the less sensitive smell spectrum, we have to ask other people for help to tell if it's to tell us if the chicken in the fridge is bad. So, this relates to real life in very practical ways. People who are less sensitive are better at doing hard tasks. However, people who are more sensitive are better able to discern danger. And it's very, very common for the people who are more sensitive to be resentful of the people who are less sensitive. Now, throughout all of this, we, God gave us the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. However, our initiative of what we want to do for others is very dependent on what we perceive and what we receive as love. So we're going to initiate in what we naturally receive. So one of my natural love languages is hugging. I'm very physically affectionate. And I have had to learn over the years that not everyone is very huggy. And So I've had to learn, can you give me a hug? I've had to learn to ask or learn to offer a hug before initiating. Would you like to receive a hug? Because whether something is loving or not is partially dependent on the perception of the recipient. And there's, there's three people involved in in a relational transaction god being the third person so if my initiative is pure but i'm giving in a way that is not their love language and it's received opposite of that or disrespectful thankfully god still knows my heart that my initiative was pure in that moment but i have to learn from that person's response hey i don't receive this well or maybe try and pick up some of their body language cues. And I have to realize, oh, wait, they didn't receive that as loving. Let me try again differently. 
let me try words of affirmation or quality time or acts of service. And so very often in life, we will need to learn and we will we need to study people. We need to study, okay, what are this person's love languages and what do they appreciate and how what what forms of love do they give? Because that's the biggest clue for what they're going to want to receive. This girl is always giving out compliments. Let me give her compliments every single time I see her. Because that is something that she wants and she desperately desires. And that's why she's giving it so consistently. It's that other-centeredness that pays attention to, to studying other people. Now, when we're hurting, it's hard for us to do that. And when we're selfish, it's also hard for us to do that. And sometimes grieving and selfishness, sometimes grieving and and pity parties can become selfishness. And sometimes you can just be entitled and selfish. And so that's very much a learning curve that you have to discern within yourself of, I'm feeling selfish right now. Okay, let me take this to the foot of the cross. Or I'm feeling needy right now. How can I depend on God to meet my needs? How can I do something to, in a healthy way, supply what I am missing? Or how can I, in a healthy way, ask someone else to help me with this? And what is a reasonable request that I can ask of them? I don't know if I've mentioned this in my earlier podcast, but it's hard to know what to, how to ask for help. You know, if I ask to borrow a pen, that's a pretty low request. If I ask to borrow someone's car, that's quite a bit higher. That person needs to trust me, not just my character, but also my driving skills and how far is the trip and what am I transporting and various things like that. So when we ask for help, it's important to phrase our request, start with the smallest possible thing. And then if that gets a yes, then maybe ask for something in addition. And over time, learn, okay, what what capacity is this person capable of giving? And am I reciprocating in a way that is balancing that? And what is a reasonable request for them? You know, very common in my relationships, I have a cousin. I have a cousin who struggles with mental health. And one of the things that I have to do in my relationship with her is I need to lower my expectations for what she can give me emotionally. Um, She is equally sensitive as I, but when her emotional energy runs out for the day, it's gone. And it's best for her if she doesn't go into deficient and then deficiency and then that carries in tomorrow. And so I, I have had to learn how to be a friend to her in a way where I have realistic expectations and not letting my perceptions 
not letting my perceptions override what I know to be true. And so that's some really important self-talk there. And okay, this is an important tangent and I'm going to go on it. So bear with me. Sometimes we will have long pauses in a friendship and, you know, maybe life just gets busy or we don't see people for a while. And in long distance relationships, this is especially challenging because you don't know if the person died or what their status is or, you know, there might be some big headline news that is providing important context. And so... Um, sometimes when we have pauses, we will enter into that pause knowing I am thankful for my friend and I know that they care about me and I know that I, I know that they know that I care about them. And so, you know, six months can go by and we can pick up where we left off. Unfortunately, sometimes if I, I don't know how it is for other people, but sometimes if I go into a long pause and there's kind of something outstanding that kind of rubbed me the wrong way or I perceived a certain way because I'm sensitive or maybe it was just carelessness on their part. If I go into a long pause with a friend and there's something weighing on me, that makes me doubt and question if they care about me. Six months can go by, and whenever I think about that person, my emotional bank account will take out a withdrawal, forgiving them for that hurt or wrong or whatever it is, even if even if it's a misconception on my part. And so very often I will go into the negative on a long distance relationship and this is a me thing like i am responsible for how i handle that and i'm doing well at the moment but when i figure more out i will let you know <laughs> um now i have learned over the years that some of my cousins are just not going to initiate and I have accepted that in my interaction with them. And so at this point in my life, um, I have decided my standard for myself is I'm going to send a card for their birthday and um, a coffee gift card. And that is going to be my contribution to them in a way that I feel I can faithfully and sustainably communicate that I care about them and it doesn't matter how I feel it just matters that I show up and this is the part of love and affection that is honestly really hard and something that I have learned about reserved people with initiation is that sometimes if they feel like how do I phrase this they want their initiative to feel sincere and even their reciprocation they want they want to do it because they feel like 
doing it and they feel the affection in that moment that motivates them to do it. And my reserved friend will has told me that she has had to learn and practice empathy. And the, the question, what would Jesus do, is a very practical, applicable question for her. And there are quite a few things that she does that she does because they're the right thing to do for other people and not because she has any affection or feeling or emotion behind it. And obviously in the grand scheme of things, doing something when you are emotionally hurting is not a sustainable action. Um, but this is, this is why I chose the example of a birthday card um, and a coffee card. Um, that is something where I've decided, okay, I can do this sustainably. And, you know, let me put reminders in my phone for once every three months. Hey, how you doing? What's new? Um, and try to show up even though I don't have the emotional initiative to push me to do that. Um, I have another cousin where her love languages are very much real life and acts of service. And it's hard to do acts of service for someone when you are hundreds of miles away. And so I also know that she prefers phone call conversations over texting or social media. And I have had to <laughs> painfully, it, I, I wish I'd had this conversation with myself sooner, um, but I've had to lower my expectations and realize, um, let me send her a casual text, not a conversational text, but just a, hey, I care about you, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying about your trip, um, hope you're doing well, um, and learning to bridge the gap between different emotional love languages is challenging and especially in family relationships you know this is why god put different people with very different personalities in a family because it's important for us to learn how to love people who receive love differently so whether it's your immediate family your extended family or a family that you married into um, this is a thing that God is very consistent about, I've noticed. Um, and when you are part of a healthy family, um, the main thing is that you are responsible to police your own heart and your little attitudes. And if you have kids, you're responsible for holding, applying that standard to your children. And if you do that, family gatherings are successful. If everyone has that standard for themselves and their individual families. Now, most of us did not grow up with that. And so very often we have family interactions where we have family members who aren't saved. And so they're not holding themselves to the standard that we're holding ourselves 
to. Or maybe they are Christians, but their walk with Christ is immature, or they have some selfishness and some attitudes going on that they've allowed in their heart that make it difficult to interact with them. And I promise we're, we're coming back to initiation and reciprocation. It's just, it's so fundamental to friendship as a whole that there's a lot of expressions and layers and dynamics. So, um, it's time to segue and talk about two of my family members. So, um, one family member I grew up with and the other family member I am related to by marriage. So this is my husband's family. Now, the family member that I grew up with, our relationship is in a state where it does not matter how much I initiate, this person does not want a relationship with me. It does not matter what I say or do or even offer to apologize, offer to change behavior. The door is shut. And by the grace of God, he allowed me to recognize bitterness in this person's heart 10 years before we got to this point. And so in the course of time, he protected me from this person's rejection. He protected me so thoroughly and clearly that I, I've literally never had a moment of questioning, is there anything I could have done differently? No. And I have literally never questioned that. Like, actually, literally. Like, in a previous podcast, I used the word literally and talking about the dog that I walk and saying he literally never pulls on the leash. I should have said almost never because he definitely does sometimes pull on the leash. But in this case, I'm using the word literally to mean literally. I literally could not have done anything different. There's nothing at this point I could do. No, yes, there, there was some sin on my part, but... There is no opportunity for me to rectify the relationship that is closed. And I know God has given me peace that surpasses understanding about how it is this other person's heart that is the determination of that. Now, in contrast, uh, the family member that I married into... Now, this is a bit more complicated because I didn't grow up with this person, but because I've married into them, I came in with higher expectations. Now, this person is equally as sensitive as I am, but with different love languages and different expressions. And so things that are meaningful to me make absolutely no sense to them. And things that are meaningful to them have no weight with me. It, it just, it just doesn't connect. And so we very much have to go outside. Uh, if we are to have a successful friendship relationship, it would require that both of us go outside our comfort zone consistently. 
Now, we kind of got off on the wrong foot on day one. And both of us were coming in with different cultural cultures and different expectations. And that incident has been extensively discussed and I have apologized for my part in, you know, there were things that I did not know that I should have done because that is polite and I have apologized for those. Um, I, <laughs> I've really, we did have some discussion about my cultural expectations and yeah, so at least that was clarified. Um, but it came to a certain point in the interaction where I wasn't sure if this person liked me. Now, um, they had given me gifts. Um, we had spent some time together. But beyond that, I had picked up some moments where they, I, I felt that they were judging me. Um, and I, I just, I wasn't sure if they liked me. And so being an initiator, let me backtrack. Here's why that is so important. If we're not sure if someone likes us, it makes us feel very unsafe. We are, and I got, I learned this from Vanessa Van Edwards. It is very important for us to categorize people as this person does not like me versus this person is my friend. And the category that wears us out is apathy. So if someone, if we're not sure if they like us or not, we are constantly reading the room, trying to get a sense of, are we good? Where are we at? Am I safe with you? Can I trust you? On a very deep psychological level, liking is very, very important. So I wasn't sure if this person liked me. I also wasn't sure if this person hated me. I don't think they do, um, by the grace of God. I mean, we've, hurt, we've both hurt each other a lot, but I don't think they hate me. And not knowing if they liked me, my response to this, and this was, I literally just figured this out yesterday. My response to this was so subconscious so just wired into me well if I'm not sure if they like me let me initiate and then if they reciprocate I'll know that they like me can someone please validate me that that is logical that's logical right yeah okay I know that it's logical it's okay you don't have to leave a comment JK it's a podcast you can't leave comments but the point is, that became my mode of operation. Let me initiate more intensely to get this person to reciprocate. And then I'll know that they like me. The problem was, this person is 
more than just reserved. This person is so protective against rejection, even in reciprocation, that they will hide behind other people. They will hide behind their parent. They will hide behind their spouse. They will hide behind their friends. They will hide behind their children. And Lord knows if I knew this person's life history, maybe then I would have a better understanding of why have you chosen to live your life this way where you are so determined on hiding and not being vulnerable in any in any way possible. Your coping mechanisms, my friend, are not your identity. And certainly, God has wired us with certain proclivities or tendencies towards certain patterns of behavior. But please don't hold on to your coping mechanisms like they are a personality trait. And so, this pattern of, let me initiate, okay, there's no reciprocation. Let me initiate, okay, there's some reciprocation with gifts, but people can give gifts and still not like you. I can't, I still can't read if they like me. And, and I was still detecting expressions that they didn't like me. And so that led to a a letter of confrontation um, and if you decide that you need to go on along that path, let me advise you to always keep a copy of what you write to someone else um because you might need to revisit that when perchance you start to doubt yourself and people question, well, you shouldn't have written that letter of confrontation or what have you. You need to know what you said. And having that letter documented for myself has been extremely important. And so one of my... One of the things that I learned from this experience, I learned many things, and by the grace of God, it's been very fruitful for uh, content. One of the things that I learned is don't stay mad, set boundaries. And at this point in our interaction... I have made it my boundary that I do not initiate to this person under any circumstances. I'm not saying never, but in this season, at this time, I will not initiate. I will not say hello. I will not say goodbye. I will not ask for a hug. I will not have conversation. I literally am not on speaking terms. Let me assure you, this person has had many opportunities 
to demonstrate a willingness to change. And that that change never manifested. Part of it is that our personalities are so different. And as I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, one of one of the person's values is that they want their action to be motivated by affection and that that way it will feel sincere and as much as i can understand and sympathize with that value um i think one of the things that god has been trying to teach them is that sometimes we need to love people outside of our comfort zone and sometimes what will show love to others is something that just feels mechanical on our part and the bible calls this agape love agape is a greek word and it means sacrificial love agape love is when jesus went to the cross and died for our sins on our behalf He initiated the relationship. First of all, when we go to Genesis, it says that he created us and he breathed life into us. And then he gave us the choice to trust him and obey him and tend the garden, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion, meaningful work and and management of the the world that he'd given us. Or, Adam and Eve also had the choice to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, friend, before you judge Adam and Eve, and listen, I get it, all of us would have made that same choice. (laughs) And if you think that you would not have, I, I'm i praying for you. Um, and I don't say that sarcastically or in a mean-spirited way, but you need to understand your own proclivity to sin. Um, and, and, if, and if you doubt that, God, rest assured that God will show you. <laughs> give or take three days from you listening to this podcast and having this attitude and holding on to this attitude, he will show you. So you better let go of that attitude or else. Um, God is very faithful to humble us when we need to learn that we can't love people in our own strength. We can't even love God in our own strength. We need God's help to love God back. That's why the Calvinists get all worked up over the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, yeah, we, and I and I can agree. Like when you have a when I have a bad attitude, I go to the foot of the cross and I ask Jesus to help me. Like you know, sometimes I have a bad attitude towards my husband. Sometimes it's a family member or a friend. It's like, or a church member or whatever. It's like, hey, God, here's my bad attitude. Sort me out so that whenever I interact with this person, I can, I, I can be upright and kind and thoughtful and clear. 
and and sometimes kindness and clarity is is blunt sometimes blunt is the only language people will hear um and that really is quite unfortunate um i think part of the reason it is God's mercy that I haven't had a lot of romantic relationships or romantic breakups, but I've had a lot of friend breakups. We're going to start talking about them in the next episode. And I think part of the reason why is because when it comes to confrontation, I would rather tell someone the truth and watch it blow up in my face then protect my dignity and protect their perception of me and just kind of fade out. Now, there is a time and place where it's appropriate to fade out. And especially if people know how they have hurt you and... If people know how they've hurt you and you realize that you cannot continue initiating or reciprocating or or having a friendship with them, it's okay to just quietly disappear. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't make a big deal. That would be my tendency anyways. Um, That is my tendency. Um, And so I have had to learn the art of very gently removing myself from someone else's life. But because that has not come naturally to me, I actually have quite a few messy breakups to talk about. And I am glad that I can share them with you because there's a lot of things in friendship that can get messy. And it's not something that gets talked about much and when we know how to do friendship well it builds our confidence and it it grounds us one of the things i'm very grateful for um in the midst of the family conflict that i just described um having spent literally hours upon hours thinking about this person, talking about this person, um, God has given me the safety and security of having peace with my spouse, my husband, Ben, and having peace and acceptance and a very clear communication of you are wanted within my church community. If I had not had that, I would have handled that conflict even less well than I did. Now, I, unfortunately at this point, I would consider this person both my sister in Christ and my enemy. And... I came to this realization about the enemy part um, the other Sunday at church. My pastor asked the question, what do you wish for your enemies? 
um, we were reading Isaiah 19, and it was a very hard, it was a very interesting chapter. Not a lot of sermons on Isaiah 19. And um, God, God is so gracious. As my pastor asked that question, this family member was the first person that I thought of. And in God's mercy, my hope and prayer, I realized that my hope and prayer for this person is wholeness. I know that I don't have to trust them. That was the one of the things God emphasized with me over and over and over again, was I don't have to trust them. And also that I should not resent them for being expensive because he has allowed me close enough into their life to where I know his calling on their life. He has chosen to use me as a plowshare. You know, because we are family by marriage, we can't run away from each other. And God did that by design so I would learn from them and they would learn from me. And we both have a very crucial aspect to play in the other person's ministry. And my prayer and my hope for them is that they would be so brave that they would be intentional about loving other people and never even being concerned with whether or not that is reciprocated. My hope and prayer for them is that they would be so grounded in who they are that they can confront others lovingly, kindly, and sensitively. And God knows that some of the best people to confront in the body of Christ are the ones who are sensitive, the ones who sit and take their time and ponder and observe the patterns and, and, and lift up the situation and pray for the other person and really come to the root and the heart of the origin of where that sin is coming from. And maybe, depending on how much God chooses to reveal, but waiting on the Lord for how to go about that confrontation. And I know that this person is called to have a lot of confrontation. God has given both of us a very deep insight into other people. They know a lot about me. That would probably make me very uncomfortable. And I know a lot about them. That can also make them very uncomfortable. But even in this, even in this season where I have to have self-control and and as much as I see something and I think of them and I want to initiate, I genuinely, I don't have that anymore. But even in the midst of the conflict, I still had that strong desire of, oh, this makes me think of them. I want to share that. And I had to learn to hold myself back because I knew it would only result 
in disappointment. At this point in our non-relationship, the best thing I can do is hope to God for the best for them. I want the best for their marriage. I want the best for their kids. I want the best for their friend circle. And that, at this time, is the only way I can initiate. If this podcast has given you something to think about, something that you need to work through and process, I would encourage you to click one of the two links in the description. If you're having difficulty with a friendship, or if you're, if you, if you're struggling with friendship in general, please go to inversestream.com slash podcast slash friendship. If you are deep in a conflict with someone, I would encourage you to visit inversestream.com slash podcast slash conflict. At each of those links, there will be a web form there that will connect you with a digital mentor. This is not a professional counselor, simply a Christian who wants to encourage you and help you and disciple you in your walk with Christ. And I would encourage you to click those links because they want to help you. And very often, they're they're initiating their time to be counselors for free because God has given them grace and peace and wisdom and they want to share that with other people. They may have possible solutions to your situation that you might not have thought of. And so I would encourage you to click those links, explain your situation as clearly as you can, and then listen to their suggestions. And when they misunderstand something, be respectful and clarify as best you can. They want to help you. That's why they're there. That's why I am making this content so that you can connect with a person, an individual, and I am just the connecting point. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Meg, and I love my Jesus. And I believe in living inside out. Now it's your turn. Live it.